Hello again. Could it be that the book of Romans and chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in the whole Bible? Uh, If you ask a Christian, maybe someone in this room over morning tea, uh, if you ask them, what's your favorite chapter of the Bible? What's your favorite verse? Uh, What's the memory verse that comforts you as a Christian? What's the verse that keeps you going in your faith? If you ask someone that question, you're almost guaranteed that they'll say something from Romans 8. Uh, Yes, they might say John 3.16. Yes, they might say something obscure from the Old Testament if they are an obscure person. But just listen to some of the famous and most cherished words from Romans 8. I want to read some of them out. Listen to how many of those go-to memory verses are in Romans 8. Paul says in Romans 8, There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He says, We have the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He says, We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. He says, All things work for the good of those who love God. He says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He says, God didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us. He says, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of those famous and deeply encouraging words come from Romans 8. This chapter that we're exploring excuse me, over three weeks. Uh, is it the greatest chapter in the Bible? I'll let you decide that one. But there's another verse, famous verse in Romans 8 that I didn't just say, but we did just read. Uh, and it's verse 18, the first verse of our passage today. Uh, have a look down on it there, uh, on the outline or in your Bible. Verse 18, do you know these words? Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Yet again, another of those famous, encouraging, memory verse kind of verses. But I wonder, what's your gut response to that verse? How does it make you feel? What's your first reaction to a statement like that? Your first reaction might be, I don't really know what that's talking about. I'm confused. That's fine. That's what we're here for, to, to read it and understand it. So stay tuned. But my hope is that for many of us, our first response is, Amen, Paul. Our suffering and this life is not all there is. We have a glorious future to look forward to. Uh, We have a life to come, eternal life with our Lord Jesus, full of joy and peace. I can't wait for that day. Come, Lord Jesus. But I wonder if maybe for some of us or like just part of us, when we read a verse like that, our first reaction is, really, Paul? Like, How can you say that? Or even, how dare you say that, Paul, because my suffering seems endless and it overwhelms me. Paul, are you really saying my suffering is so insignificant that it's not worth comparing to that glory to come? Maybe you feel like Paul trivializes your suffering and your struggling here. Well, today the goal is to dig in to this verse and the, and the rest to see what it says. So let's pray for God's help. Heavenly Father, we know that your word is good, so please help us to hear it and receive it with thanks, and please let it do the work in us that you want it to do, in our hearts and minds and lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So come with me now. Have your Bible and your outline in front of you. It's worth saying again that you can't be a casual reader of the book of Romans. You must work hard. You don't get the treasure unless you dig. You've got to sweat, okay? 
Uh, so look at your outline there. The first thing we're going to do is look at verse 18. Because verse 18, it's kind of like the heading or the summary of the whole rest of the passage. So what we're going to do is spend a lot of time just on verse 18, and then we'll spend uh, the rest of our time on the rest of the verses, but more quickly, okay? So don't get worried that we're stuck on verse 18 for a while. That's the plan. So let's read it again. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Now what's Paul talking about? What are the big things he's talking about here? He's he's comparing two things, isn't he? Well, actually, he says you shouldn't compare them. Um, But he's holding up two things for us, isn't he? For us to see and think about. What are they? Uh, Look at the verse again. Number one, the sufferings of this present time. And number two, the glory that's going to be revealed to us. He's holding up these two things for us to think about. Suffering and glory. Now, why is he talking about these things? Why does he mention suffering and glory? Well, it's because of what he's been trying to show us in these recent chapters of Romans. So look back at verse 16 and 17. This is the end of the passage that we looked at last week that Adriel took us through. What did we see there? Verse 16, we saw the wonder that if we have the Spirit of God, if we have turned to Jesus, if we become a Christian, then God is our Father. We are God's children. We have the great privilege of being, verse 17, heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus. Because we are God's sons, Jesus is our brother, we have an inheritance on the way. We have the guarantee of eternal life when Jesus returns and makes all things new. But then Paul, he just adds this little bit to the end of that verse. Did you see it? Verse 17, where heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that or provided that, we suffer with Jesus so that we may also be glorified with him. What's that about? We're simply saying that if you are united with Jesus, you will suffer like Jesus. You will suffer with him just as he did, and you will have to press on in faith. And if you do press on in faith, if you persevere through that struggle of this life, you will be glorified like him on the last day. So the path to eternal glory is suffering now, persevering through that suffering, holding on to faith, even through those struggles that we face as Christians. Suffering now, glory later. So verse 17 mentions that idea, suffering and glory. Verse 18, well, he just keeps expanding on it. Present suffering, future glory. You see, this is what Paul is trying to, be sh- trying to show us in these recent chapters of Romans. He's been explaining the tension of the Christian life. This is what chapters 7 and 8 are about. What is now, but what is not yet. They're about the fact that, that yes, now we've been saved. We've been justified by faith, reconciled to God. We have peace with him. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have all these incredible blessings now. But then there are blessings of salvation that are not yet. So think back two weeks to Romans 7. Yes, we're free from slavery to sin. Yes, we're free from the condemnation of the law, but we still wrestle and struggle with sin. Paul says, what a wretched man I am, and we are wretched too. We don't do the good things that we know we should do. We do the evil things that we know we shouldn't do. Who will save us from our bodies of death? God will, through Jesus, but not yet. 
Not until Jesus returns. Or think back to last week, Romans chapter 8. We have the Holy Spirit. A great transformation has taken place, but the body is dead because of sin. And the day when God brings our mortal bodies to life, it lies in the future. Present suffering and struggle with sin and future glory. That's what Paul's trying to get us to get. So that takes us back to verse 18. Paul holds these two things up, suffering and glory. But what does he actually say about them? What are they? Uh, Look closely again at the verse 18. Uh, What are the sufferings that he's talking about? Well, Paul says the sufferings are of this present time. And then the only other time that he mentions is the time where glory comes, eternity when Jesus returns. And so the sufferings of this present time are any and all sufferings, all the struggles that we face in this life as we live in this fallen world, in this fallen age. It's the suffering we've experienced since Genesis 3. And in the next few verses, well, Paul goes on to expand about that. He says creation has been subject to futility and bondage and decay and corruption. We live in sin We live in a sin-cursed world, and we live sin-cursed lives. So, that's the suffering, but what's the glory? So verse 18 again says, it's the glory that's going to be revealed to us. It's future glory. It's looking forward to the day when Jesus returns. And there are many things that will be glorious on that day. But does Paul have something particular in mind? I think he does. And he kind of shows us that. He hints at it in the rest of the passage. We're going to dip into a few verses. What is the glory that will be revealed? Have a look at verse 18. It says, The creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. God's children, his people in Christ, will be visible and made clear on that day. Or look at verse 21. The creation itself will also be set free from bondage to corruption into The glorious freedom of God's children. We, God's people, will experience freedom. Now, what are those things hinting at? Because that's still a little bit vague, isn't it? I think the answer is in verse 23. Partway through, Paul says, We Christians also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Putting that together, what is the glory that will be revealed to us? It's being raised just as Jesus was raised. Remember verse 17, if we suffer with Jesus, we will be glorified like him. How was Jesus glorified? He was raised from the dead. That's the glory that's going to be revealed to us. We're waiting for the fullness of our adoption when our bodies are redeemed and freed from sin and death. And raised, we are raised with a glorious body like Jesus. A body that is new, that the Spirit brings to life. Not a body of death that always struggles with sin and suffering. That is the glorious freedom of God's children. That's the freedom that we will experience. Freedom from dying, sin-affected bodies. That's how God's sons will be revealed on that day. That is our hope as Christians. I hope you know that. Look at verse 24 again. He says, Now in this hope, we were saved. We were saved when we first put our trust in Jesus. When we believed God's promises, it was credited to us as righteousness. But we don't have it all yet. 
We were saved for a future hope, for a future glory. God will rescue us from dead, sin-stained bodies prone to wandering and temptation. He'll give us new, glorious bodies like Jesus. Okay, back to verse 18. Paul says, yes, in verse 17 he says, yes, we will suffer. But that suffering is nothing. Nothing compared to our future glory, to the glory that will be revealed to us, he says. He says there isn't even a, compa- isn't even a comparison that can be made between the two. Our present suffering and our future glory, they are so far away from each other that you can't draw a line to them. Why? Well, that's because our future glory, it's the last piece in the puzzle of our salvation. It's God doing away with the body of sin and death. It's God clothing us with a body for eternity, a body fit for eternal life, free from death, free from decay, free from the sin and the pain and the struggle and everything that the curse of sin has brought. See, this might be hard to imagine or to grasp, but our suffering, no matter how great it is, no matter how much of it there is, Our present suffering, Paul says, is not worth comparing to our future glory, to the hope that God has in store for those who accept his Son. So the glory of that day is beyond what we could possibly imagine. That day when Jesus returns and and raises us to be like him, we can't begin to fathom how glorious it will be. Yet we struggle, don't we? That's hard for us to grasp. Yet that's the promise, the hope that we're to hold on to here. That even the depths and deepest struggles we face, we read before in Psalm 43 about turmoil and deep depression. We look forward to a day when God will wipe all those things away. And so praise God for the joy and rejoicing and wonder and glory of that day that will make all our suffering pale pale in comparison. Do you believe that? Well, that's a great encouragement. I hope you find it a great encouragement, even as you wrestle with it. But what do we do now? What do we do now? In the meantime, now we experience the present suffering. Well, as Christians, what do we do until we reach that day of glory and resurrection of life? That's what the rest of the passage talks about for us. Now, we spent a lot of time on verse 18. I said we would do that. It's the heading Uh, the key verse here, and so we're just going to spend a shorter amount of time pulling a few things out of the rest of the passage. So what do we do in the meantime as we wait for the day of glory? Well, there's a few things we do in the meantime. The first thing is we groan. In verse 19 and 20 and 21, Paul talks about the creation groaning out of futility and corruption. That's what we see in the world, don't we? All creation is under that curse of sin, and so the weather and the oceans and the land and the animal world, it just falls into chaos and turmoil so constantly. We have destructive storms and raging seas and earthquakes and pain and death. These are like labor pains, Paul says, before the coming day of Jesus, when he renews and restores creation and brings a new creation fit for eternity. Even creation groans and longs for that day. But closer to home for us, if we look at verse 23, we see Paul says that we as Christians groan. 
within ourselves. See, you're meant to groan if you're a Christian. Earlier in the year, I preached a sermon about the sin of grumbling and whinging, uh, but there is such thing as godly grumbling, or better put, godly groaning. Because this kind of groaning that Paul talks about here, it's, it isn't from spite or discontentment that grumbles at God. No, it's, it's more a yearning spirit, a longing for the suffering to end and for God to bring his day of glory. And that makes sense, right? When you go through pain and you know that there is an end coming, you yearn, you groan for it. This here is groaning towards God, longing, him, longing for him to fulfill his word. Look at how Paul puts it in verse 23. He says, And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, this is the work of the Spirit in us, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, don't you love how Paul puts it there? Uh, the Spirit is the first fruits, which means that the redemption, the, the, the redemption of our bodies is the full harvest. The fact that God has given us his spirit now means that the glory to come, being raised like Jesus, is guaranteed. We have that hope and confidence that God will finish the job. If he's given us his spirit now, he will do this on the last day. But we groan as we wait. Because now we suffer and we struggle with sin and we long for that freedom and for those things to end. For renewed bodies you see, this passage, it actually doesn't belittle our suffering and our struggle with sin. It actually validates our struggles. Our present suffering, it even makes us groan in despair more for that glorious day as we look forward to it. Paul's not making this a trivial matter. He shows us our suffering is legitimate, yet we await a glorious day. The encouragement is that the glory to come is incomparable. Our suffering makes us yearn and long all the more for Jesus' return in glory. And we lean on God more in our struggles. Do you, do you groan? Do you yearn for the glory to come? Or are you someone who grumbles at God instead? Or you're just too focused on the things of this world to pay attention to it? No, Paul here, he turns our eyes and our hearts to that future hope and glory and that will produce godly groaning in us. That leads us to the second thing we do, which is we eagerly wait. Did you notice uh, Paul said that a few times? Have a look at verse 23 again, halfway through. He says, We also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Or look at verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not yet see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. The same word both times. Now, this is, what is this not talking about? Let's think about that for a second. Uh, this is not talking, talking about waiting in the doctor's waiting room. Uh, when you're a bit sick, got a bit of a you know, head cold or whatever, or you need a script to get some antibiotics, uh, you sit there in the waiting room, and what do you do? You stare into space blankly. Or you, the reality is, what we do, do we do? We stare at our phones blankly. And we're bored, and we're tired, and we're hungry, and we're fidgety, and it all feels really pointless. Uh, that's not eagerly waiting, is it? No, what this is talking about is more like kids on Christmas Eve. Uh, they just can't stop thinking and talking about the presents. Or it's like being apart from your family. And so you long to, and to see them. You deeply miss them. You want to hug them again. You're focused on the thing that you are waiting for. You're eager for it. 
See, our hope as Christians is eternal life with bodies free from sin and death and sickness. How can we not eagerly wait for that day and look forward with longing? Are you eagerly waiting for the glory to come when Jesus redeems our bodies? But did you notice that Paul also said we eagerly wait with patience? And the sense of this is waiting with endurance and waiting with perseverance. It's not giving up when you feel like it's taking too long. Uh, have you ever lined up at a takeaway place for some lunch uh, and then the line is just too long and the staff are just horribly slow and so you just give up and you just, you just walk away and you think, I'll just go hungry, it's, it's better. Now, imagine that it's your favourite uh, eating establishment. What if it's fresh, juicy Eljana's chicken uh, that you're in line for? You're willing to wait for that, aren't you? You'll persevere even if the line is long. You'll persevere even if the service is slow because you just want to taste that chicken or the garlic sauce or the pickles. Oh, the pickles. See, as Christians, we eagerly wait with endurance, with perseverance. We don't give up on Jesus. We don't walk away. We don't throw in the towel. Why? Because our hope of being raised with Jesus, it is worth waiting for. It is that good and so will you persevere as you wait for that day of glory? But the great wonder of this passage, it's the last thing this passage shows us, the great wonder of this passage is that though we suffer, though we groan, though we have to eagerly wait, God doesn't leave us alone. He gives us help and comfort as we wait for glory. It's in verse 26, and this is just one of those incredible and, and just hard to get your head around verses of the Bible. But it's so wonderful. Look at verse 26 with me. Paul says, In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness, because we don't know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. Creation groans, we groan, but also the Holy Spirit in us groans. This is hard to wrap our heads around, but, but what it's saying is this, that when we are struggling and weak, at the depths of our struggle and suffering, when we, when we don't know even what to pray for, the Holy Spirit in us groans and prays on our behalf to God the Father. That's, that's it out there idea isn't it but it's just one of those ideas it's, it's just meant to fill us with deep comfort that even in our deepest struggles God is for us God is with us God is in us and the spirit in us prays on our behalf for the things that we might need and want but also perfectly aligned with God's will and so there's no tension between the two between us and God the spirit intercedes for us what a wonderful mystery. Do you draw comfort from it? I pray we all do. Because actually, that's what this passage is meant to do for us. To be our comfort and encouragement as God's precious people. It's meant to assure us that our struggle is normal. And that God has given us a great hope. And his spirit is in us. And he's going to get us into that future day of glory it is this hope and assurance that makes us persevere in faith. So do you groan and do you eagerly wait? Are you waiting with perseverance for that glory to come? And do you, like Paul, consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing uh, 
to our future glory. See, no wonder Romans 8 is a favorite for so many of us. I just want to finish with verse 18 again. And I want us to take on those words for ourselves. Make them not just Paul's words, but our words. I'm going to read them out for us. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Amen.